Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good evening. Good evening and welcome to Coastal Community Church. I am Pastor Chris. Welcome to those of you who are here in person for our 6 p.m. service and welcome uh, to the many of you who are home uh, watching this online. I am Pastor Chris. Merry Christmas Eve, everyone. Are you excited? I know I am because tomorrow is Christmas. Now, I know that many of you, especially our parents, have a long, long night ahead of you, so I'm gonna do my very best to cut to the chase and not make tonight last any longer. Now, here is the simple message of Christmas. You matter to God. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Regardless of your past, regardless of where you've been or what you've done, our God loves you and he wants you to love him back. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Now, throughout this Christmas season, I'm sure you've all probably noticed a very familiar scene. One, in fact, that you probably take for granted. You've seen it so often. A nativity scene. Raise your hand or leave a comment online if you currently have or had growing up a nativity scene as part of your Christmas decorations. Anybody? Yeah, that's what I I thought. I'm sure many of you uh, online as well. Um, Well, at our house, at the Rollins house, on our mantle, uh, we actually have a Precious Moments nativity scene. Are you familiar with the Precious Moments figurines back from the 80s? Uh, They're about about as far away as you can get from what the original first century Middle Eastern biblical characters would have looked like. But they're so precious, right? At least that's what my wife thinks. Now, we actually filmed a part of the service for this Sunday that Scott was talking about earlier at our home. And uh, all the pastors from our church came over to my house uh, for the filming. So let me tell you what happened. Ryan Spell, our beloved youth pastor and leader of the tech booth, knocked over one of the precious little wise men, part of that collection that we have had for years, that our children had grown up with each Christmas, and we probably would have passed on one day to our grandchildren. Ryan Spell knocked over one of those sweet little precious wise men to the floor and broke off his legs. And now he is just a precious little torso. That is it. This is him. Now, I will neither confirm nor deny that my lovely wife Janet then tried to break off Ryan's legs. But If you see Ryan uh, limping around, you'll know why. But all your life, right, you've probably seen nativity scenes on your mantle, under your tree, on church lawns, on Christmas cards. They're everywhere this time of year. You see them so often, they probably just kind of fade into the landscape. Well, tonight what I want us to do is we're going to take a few moments and look at some of the elements of a nativity scene that often get overlooked. And the first one that I want us to take a look at is the star. The star. Every nativity scene has a star, right? Well, believe it or not, the Bible tells us that God commissioned a particular star to serve as kind of a travel guide for a group of men from the east who had developed an interest in looking for Jesus. Matthew 2, 9 and 11 says this. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. 
it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. So not only did that star lead them to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem, but it led the wise men to the exact location of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And the Bible says that the wise men rejoiced over the fact that God had provided them this remarkable and accurate travel guide. Deep down, they knew that they never would have found Jesus without the star. So look at the star tonight. It is a symbol of the fact that God has always provided travel guides to earnest spiritual seekers. All throughout history, God has seen to it that those who diligently seek after Jesus are in fact going to find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says it this way, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think back to a time when you weren't. A time when maybe you were just starting to get interested in spiritual things. Remember how confused you were. Remember how lost and overwhelmed you might have felt. You know, trying to sort things out and figure things out. And remember what God did. He provided a travel guide. Somebody to lead you to Christ. It might have been your mom or dad. It might have been a guy at work, a neighbor, a close friend, a teacher, a pastor. But all of us who are followers of Jesus can retrace our spiritual journey and say, you know what, without this man or without this woman, I'm not sure I would have found Jesus. God had somebody cross our path, somebody whose light was bright, whose love was real, whose faith was so compelling that we found ourselves just moving closer and closer to Jesus. What would your life be like tonight had it not been for that earthbound star that God used as a travel guide to bring you to Jesus? I think tonight would be an appropriate night to thank God for his gift of travel guides. In fact, I want you to take a moment and literally assign a name to the star or stars that God provided in your life to lead you to Jesus. In fact, if you're in the room, write the name down. Write the names down. They're on your outline. If you're watching online, leave us a comment. Let us know who they were and maybe something about them. I'm also aware of the fact that some of you tonight might feel a whole lot more like someone who's still seeking than somebody who's found. So for those of you who are still seekers, I want to give you a word of encouragement. Again, the Bible's clear that if you'll seek God with all your heart, you'll find him. And chances are that God has already put a travel guide in your life somewhere. Chances are if you were just to you know, scan the horizon of your relationships, you probably already know somebody whose spiritual light burns pretty bright, whose love is real, whose faith has caught your attention more than once. That person very well might be God's travel guide for you. In fact, it might be the person who invited you to Coastal. And let me tell you something, there is nothing, nothing we love doing more here at Coastal than pointing spiritual seekers to Jesus because he is the one that you're looking for. So that's the star. Number two, let's take a look at the stable. The stable, you know, typically on a nativity scene, it's the little wooden hut that we set up that always has, we always find a way to make, uh, make look so quaint. 
Well, I can assure you that the stable that Jesus was born in was anything but quaint. It was just like a hundred other stables in that time, crowded, smelly animals, dark, damp, rodent infested. It was an all around rotten, rotten place for a baby to be born, which makes a thinking person ask this question. So if God could commandeer a star to serve as a travel guide, why couldn't he commandeer a suite at the Bethlehem Hilton? You know, or at least a room in a private hospital. I mean, a star would be, it's a much bigger feat than a suite, right? Well, the answer to that question is this. God could have. But he made the deliberate choice not to. I think God chose the stable for a very important reason. It's a symbol that when God sent his one and only son to live here on this earth, he chose not to shelter him from the harsh realities of life. God had no intentions of shielding Jesus by having him born into the make-believe world you know, of the rich and famous. Think about it. Jesus' first breath of air would burn with the odor of animal urine. His first, first noises that, that he would hear would be the grunts of livestock. The first outfit that he would put on would basically be made of cleaning rags from day one. God determined not to shelter Jesus from the rude, crude realities of life. Why? Why, you ask? Because insulated aristocrats cannot relate to the life that we go through. Think about this. In every election cycle, this past one included, there's a particular campaign strategy that has always fascinated me. It's called the identification strategy. Even if you didn't know what it was, you've all seen it. It's when a particular candidate will visit a place like an automobile assembly plant. And you, you, you get the picture, right? You, the pictures are coming to your mind. What do they do? They put on the uh, uh, safety glasses, the hard hat, the company smock, and they stand next to a group of workers for about 10 minutes, all the while posing for cameras, posing for the press. And then as, the soon, as soon as the TV lights are dim, what happens? They're off to the next stop. And you say, well, Pastor Chris, you know, what's so fascinating about that? Well, frankly, I'm amazed at the reaction to all the workers in the plant. I mean, it would seem to me that they would resent this obvious political ploy. You would think that more of them would kind of say, you know, listen, don't pretend that 10 minutes with us is going to give you any real understanding of what it's like to live our life, to work on an assembly line. Don't, you know, don't lead us to believe that you came here because you care about us or our working conditions. You want votes, and this is one way to get them. I mean, it seems that more workers would band together and say, you're not really identifying with us. What you're really doing is using us. But it goes on, right? Election after election, and apparently it's quite effective. I actually get the impression that most people in those, uh, you know, those factories are satisfied with the fact, well, that at least 10 minutes there was this illusion that the candidate was trying to express concern. I mean, you almost get the impression that they're willing to say, well, you know, he, he may or may not be for real or actually care, but at least he showed up. You know, he was here in person. He wore our company shirt, safety glasses, safety boots, just like I, just like I wear. You know, that in itself is enough. I mean, after all, it's one step better than being ignored. So on the candidates go, election after election, factory after factory, plant after plant, school after school. Most of them simply content to create this illusion 
of care and understanding through this well-worn political strategy of identification. You know, I've wondered from time to time would any of those candidates actually be willing to work next to those types of people to receive their pay, drive their car, live at their home or their apartment? Would any candidate be willing to do that? I wouldn't hold my breath, would you? I think most candidates are just willing to gladly settle for this illusion of identification. Listen carefully. Our God decided that he would not and could not settle for the illusion of identification when he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this planet. He didn't request Jesus just to you know, come down and make a low pass and then return back to heaven untouched or uninvolved. Jesus didn't come to pose for the press for 10 minutes and then leave when the lights are off. Jesus didn't ponder the humiliation and the suffering that he would endure and then decide to play it safe and settle for the illusion of identification. No, Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says this, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. Listen, no 10-minute illusion of identification. God in the person of Jesus Christ put on human flesh and he became one of us. Look at the stable. The stable is this permanent symbol of the fact that God sent Jesus to live in the real world. He was given no aristocratic advantage. He had humbler beginnings than most of us. He was born into a real family. He worked a real construction job. He had a real, uh, lived in a real neighborhood, had real friends. He suffered hardship like, like the rest of us, and he died a cruel death for a crime he did not commit. And therefore, listen to me, when the Bible urges real people like you and me who are going through disappointment and pain and hardship to pour their hearts out to Jesus, we can do so with the absolute assurance that Jesus does understand. He's been there. Life without advantage, he lived it. Shortage, poverty, he's been there. Discrimination, you say. Oppression. Listen, Jesus was a refugee before his first birthday. Rejection, he experienced it. Ridicule, it was a part of his everyday life. Abandonment by his closest friends and his time of greatest need. Death of loved ones multiple times. Physical pain, more than what you and I could ever understand or experience. Friends, listen to me. Whatever you're experiencing in this life that is driving you to within an inch of your breaking point, which is where some of you might be at tonight, whatever you've experienced that has hurt you so deeply that just makes you want to cry out, God, I can't go on. And, and nobody, nobody understands. Look at the stable and be reminded this Christmas that Jesus understands. He's been there. He can identify with you no matter what it is that you're going through. So that's the star, the stable. Finally, let's take a look at the manger. The manger. And uh, don't think of it as a you know, first century bassinet because it's a far cry from that. A manger is nothing more than a feeding trough for cattle a crudely constructed piece of farm furniture, ordinary in every way. In fact, if you think about it, listen to this. 
The only reason that we're all familiar with the term manger is why? Because the Bible says God's son was laid in one. Luke 2, 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a what? A manger. Because there was no room, no lodging available for them. Listen, apart from that, I don't think we'd have a clue as to what a manger was. But because God's son was laid in one, look what happens to an ordinary piece of farm furniture. All of a sudden, it's a household term. All of a sudden, it has worth and meaning. A feeding trough for cattle becomes a cradle for a king. The manger is a symbol of how Jesus turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. It's a symbol of what happens to an ordinary man or an, or an ordinary woman when Jesus lives inside. It's a symbol of what has happened to so many people here at Coastal, so many people in this church, ordinary people, average, run-of-the-mill people, until one day these ordinary people saw themselves for who they really are, lawbreakers in the eyes of God, sinners in need of a Savior. And they stopped comparing themselves to other people, and they started comparing themselves to the only standard that matters, God's standard of absolute holiness. And against that standard, they recognize that they fall short. And they didn't tell themselves lies about that. These ordinary people just came to realize that, you know what, I can't change my past record. I can't change my current condition. They knew that they stood guilty. They would stand guilty on judgment day. So they fell to their knees. They fell to their knees in repentance just ordinary people who said, God, I, I, I admit it. I know who I am. I know who you are. I see your holiness, and I know I've fallen short. And then they fell to their knees to cry out for grace. Grace that only a loving God can give through faith in his son Jesus, the Christmas child who was born to die for the sins of the world. And then... Then they fell to their knees in worship because they realized that salvation had been granted through Jesus. Forgiveness had been extended. Their record had been dealt with. Reconciliation with God is now a reality. And now they have been adopted, forgiven, and brought into God's forever family. And now a once ordinary man or ordinary woman is now a forever child of the King. You see, God does to you and me what Jesus did to the manger. He makes something that was ordinary, extraordinary. And so the question of this Christmas Eve, the question of the hour is this. Will you allow him to bring about that same kind of transformation in your own life? Listen, wherever you go tonight, tomorrow, maybe just for a couple of more days, you're probably going to see a nativity scene. Look at the star. God provides travel guides for earnest spiritual seekers. Look at the stable. Don't ever forget that God decided not to shelter his son Jesus. And then look at the manger. Just an ordinary piece of farm furniture that was transformed into the cradle for a king. You see, your choice this Christmas is very simple. You can stand by and just watch another Christmas come and go. 
Or you can fall to your knees in repentance and worship. And the Savior who was born on Christmas can be your Savior. The choice is yours. So tonight as I close, I want to invite you to pray with me what we call the seeker's prayer. So that just like the wise men, you would seek and find Jesus. Bow your heads and pray with me. Just pray something like this. Dear God, thank you for bringing me here tonight. I've known something was missing from my life, but I just didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was you. Thank you for seeking me even when I've ignored you. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to have a personal relationship with you. I want to put my faith and trust in you and you alone. So as much as I know how, as much as I understand, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of all that's been wrong. And now for the rest of my life, Father, I want to follow your son, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.